0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
1: Yes, indeed. And this morning, I am joined by Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Mary, good morning. It's nice to have you back on CCO. I can tell the she's thrilled now
2: in the <laughs> of December.
1: It's, it's kind of hard to believe, and I I, I know that uh, we're, we're going to be getting questions. I have some myself uh, about uh, dormant seeding. It's like for those of us maybe who didn't get around to doing any or uh, all of it. Uh, wh- what's the process? Uh, do we have to uh, wait till the snow melts and then start all over again? If indeed it melts.
2: If indeed it melts, that's right. Well, it really doesn't do much good to put seed down on the snow because who knows where it will end up when the snow, by the time the snow melts, because right. it could move off, it could blow off. Birds could eat it, so it's really not recommended to put it down on top of snow. So dormant seeding is you put the seed down when it's uh, the conditions are such that the 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 seed will remain dormant on the soil covered up by snow then, and then early in the spring will start to grow. But yes, if you didn't get to that this year, uh, good luck for next year because it's, it's really too late uh, unless, for instance, for example, you have somewhere that you don't have snow on the ground. If you have an area that where the snow has melted off, then you could do still do a dormant seeding, but it has to have good seed-soil contact.
1: Absolutely. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, this is your hour. This is your chance to ask Mary those particular questions. Uh, and you can do it uh, uh, either by phone or by text. If you want to call and chat with Mary, great. We'd love to hear your voice on the radio. Otherwise, if you uh, find it easier to send Mary a text, your lawn or garden text, that's fine, too. 651 461 is the way for uh, to get in here, either a phone or a text. 651 uh, 461 Texter says this, Mary, can you cut McKay's white potentillas down close to the ground?
2: White potentillas, cut them down. Actually, you can. Uh, Potentilla is one of our smaller shrubs, very hardy, can get kind of twiggy and uh, kind of uh, erratic looking. So if you want to cut it back down to the ground, you can. Um, I would suggest doing that right after it's finished blooming. But if you're not concerned about uh, seeing the flowers for one year, you could cut it down early in the spring just as it's starting to grow. I mean, you could even do it right now if you wanted to because it's completely dormant. But um, yes, then it will grow back again. That's called rejuvenation pruning. So it could kind of start all over again. Uh, a few of our really hardy shrubs, you can rejuvenate pruning. Uh, we've done that with lilacs at the Arboretum for several years. You cut them back down to the ground and they'll they'll totally grow up again. And it's a chance to reshape them and uh, kind of start from scratch again. It will only work, though, with plants that are really healthy and ones that are really uh, hardy.
1: You know, you mentioned the Arboretum, and I I just had a thought, uh, uh, and I know we love to talk about the Arboretum each week on the show, but I'm thinking, too, this time of year when people have, uh, they've got their uh, CCO radio on at home, and they're in their car, and they've got uh, relatives or family, friends in, and maybe a lot of folks have never been to the arboretum maybe what we could talk about just for a moment is uh, what is it where is it what is it and what can we find there
2: the arboretum is certainly a wonderful resource for the state of minnesota it is part of the university that's where our research goes on with apple breeding etc and new shrubs are introduced new plants but even in the winter time it's a great place to walk around Uh, Right now, of course, at night is the winter lights display. I was just looking at that. You can buy tickets for that. There are some sold out times, but still most nights have available times for seeing. That's a, uh, a, a holiday light display that you walk around a little bit less than a mile of trails that you walk around and see these beautiful displays. Uh, Lights. My favorite is the gigantic apple, a huge big red apple in lights. It's so big you can get inside it and take a picture of your whole family inside the beautiful Arboretum apple. But the Arboretum is open pretty much every day except Christmas Day and Thanksgiving Day. It's open. Uh, You can see the hours on the website. We do have a reservation system now. You need to get a ticket, reserve your ticket, and uh, it's timed entry, but there are times you can go – pretty much any time that it, that the arboretum is open and that's helpful with parking etc so it's a great resource for plants and a beautiful place to take visitors that's for sure well
1: it really is and you're right on the money as far as uh, parking It makes it uh, so much easier and convenient uh, making those reservations online and, and you you get there and you go right in and and have a great time so much to see and do there so I really recommend if if you're looking to do anything with family or friends who are visiting for the holidays, get to the uh, arboretum. You go west on five, highway five, and uh, you go to about forty one, just beyond that intersection of uh, highway five and forty one, and uh, you're going to be right there. And uh, yeah. is the apple is the apple house still open now? For, uh, highway five and forty one, and uh, you're going to be right there. And uh, is the Apple Apple House still open now?
2: Yes, the Apple House is open for what's called the Holiday Boutique, and that's a little bit further than the Arboretum, but it's a retail store. There's no reservations needed to go to that. I was there the other day, and I got some Snow Sweet Apples. Oh, my gosh, they are so good because they're a really white apple, very sweet. They're a University of Minnesota introductions. You can still buy apples. You can still get winter squash, but lots of holiday treats, uh, maple syrup, lots of gifts. And speaking of gifts, today at the Arboretum is the uh, one of the uh, a gift mart, a holiday gift mart with local vendors that will be there from 10 to 4. So between the Apple House and Arboretum, a uh, great place to do some shopping.
1: Oh, I should say. Now, what was the name of that apple again?
2: Snow sweet. Snow so sweet. Yeah, I think it got it it is sweet but it's very white. When you cut it the flesh is very, very white. Huh. And uh yeah, it's um you know, it's kind of one that isn't as no well known as Honey Crisp or Sweet Tango, uh and the First Kiss, the brand new apple. Snow sweet is a little bit older, but it's really a nice apple. It doesn't keep as long. It mm. kind of is um I think it's about mid-harvest. It's not a late-harvest apple, but it's really delicious. So I'm enjoying that with my family, and my grandkids love that.
1: Oh, that sounds great. I have to check that out maybe this weekend. Uh, hang on, Mary. We're going to take a, a quick break. Again, invite our listeners to join in. We were getting a bunch of text messages. If you want to call Mary and talk lawns and gardens, or if you uh, just want to send a text, either is fine this morning, as usual. 651 Here on News Talk 830, this is WCCO. And a good Saturday morning to you. Uh, Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to good folks like Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota answering those lawn and garden type of questions, either by phone or by text. So if you have uh, one of those, by all means, give us a call or send a text, 651 461 Uh, Here's one, Mary. I think a listener was uh, checking out our conversation when we uh, opened up the show uh, it says, hi, I had some leftover grass seed with mulch in it that I put down when it was dry before it snowed. Do you think that's going to take? What do you think? I know. <laughs> Look in your crystal ball and tell us, Mary.
2: <laughs> well, it's it, yes, if they put it down before the snow came, that would be a dormant seeding. And um, it sounds like it was fairly late when they did it. But, yes, that's we'll hope so we'll hope so you know we had such a dry year still very very dry i am i'm hoping we get a lot of snow for that reason but it's tough when the ground is frozen and the moisture comes it doesn't really go into the soil it tends to run off but hopefully that person uh, did a dormant seeding. sounds like they did
1: yeah, and uh, this week, uh, looking uh, at the forecast, at least for the Twin Cities area, it looks like your mid thirties basically would be uh, will be the highs pretty much the rest of this this coming week. So uh, that that might be the only downside. Could be, and I wanted to ask you about this: is a freezing drizzle? And I'm thinking over the years how how that has and could cause damage on our evergreens, on our trees, and such. Or well, the uh, bows break, and uh, it's 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 a sad yeah. situation. I'm not saying that's going to happen this week, but freezing drizzle that's in the forecast uh, for today, and maybe even this coming week. So plus a there's a possible major storm coming in Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, and we don't know how it's tracking right now, but we'll we'll keep you posted. So you may get your wish, Mary. We may have more snow,
2: <laughs> more moisture, way. yeah,
1: more moisture. Uh, here's a text that says, thank you, Mary, for your knowledge that you share. What is your opinion of using reverse osmosis water on your houseplants? That's what we do here.
2: Um, well, you can do that. I think um, many times our houseplants are are fairly forgiving because I I tend to use a lot of just tap water, room temperature tap water or or lukewarm tap water. And it depends on what kind of house plants you have. Some of them are more sensitive to chemicals that are in the water that are, could be chlorine. It could be fluoride sensitivity. It could be high pH that will build up over time. So if you're really concerned about that, you can use the reverse osmosis. Um, you can use, uh, many times people will take water from their tap. They will let it set till it is room temperature and also then the chlorine will evaporate out of that. Some people use distilled water. Some people use water that's totally not treated. if they have a well water available that doesn't have the chemicals in it, that, the chemicals that help us as humans. But it really it depends on what house plants you have, how picky you have to get on that, how much uh, care you need. If you have seen brown tips on the end of plants, Sometimes that's an indication of uh, fluoride or chlorine. That's um, with certain plants that are very sensitive to it.
1: Okay, very good. Six five one four six one nine two two six to get in touch with Mary. Uh, this listener says we need to do some major lawn repair in the spring. Well, welcome to the club. Uh, lay down <laughs> some black dirt, spread grass seed. What do we do about crabgrass prevention? They ask when. Uh, If at all, can we put down a pre-emergent?
2: Well, this is difficult because you usually have to pick one or the other. If you're doing lawn renovation and putting down new grass seed, then you just have to wait for really pretty much a whole year to do the pre-emergent crabgrass because the pre-emergent crabgrass killers kill all seed, the good lawn seed as well as the crabgrass seed. So it's really one or the other, and I would say if you're, you're, you started off by saying you need major lawn repair, so I would go with that and hope that the preparation and the seed you use is sufficient to give you a good stand of good lawn grass. And then the following year you can see about using pre emergence for uh, crabgrass.
1: I know, Mary, you know a lot about grasses, and I'm thinking once in a while we do have questions here in the show year-round. Obviously, people are talking lawns even here in the middle of December. Uh, grass seed, how, how are we fixed for good grass seed in this part of the country? What should we be looking for if we want to establish uh, really a good, strong uh, grass for those that uh, you know, want lawns? What do we look for grass seed-wise?
2: Yeah, grassy wise, a lot of it depends on your site. If you have full sun, you can go with uh, more kinds than if you have shady conditions. So we have, still have the big three that we talk about, uh, the fine fescues, which are the ones that are the, the low maintenance. They're much more popular now, low nutrient requirements and shade tolerance. So there's a whole group of fine fescues and then there's perennial ryegrass and Kentucky bluegrass. So perennial rye and Kentucky bluegrass prefer full sun conditions. And they are a little bit wider blade. They've um, uh, rhizomatous and um, tend to be the most popular and the ones that are the easiest to find. But um, the law has really helped us on this because on the bag of grass seed, it will not only have to tell you what's in there, what kinds of grass seed, but the percentage of those grass seeds. So the label really provides a lot of good information. And the label should also tell you the sun or shade preference um, and then the percentages of all the different seeds um, that are in there. So if you've got sun, you, you have many more choices. If you have shade or if you have uh, low-maintenance requirements or dry soils or no irrigation system, then I would go with a fine fescues for the shade, low-maintenance, and drier conditions. All right.
1: Again, 651 461 The texture wants to know, Mary, if you have any ideas for gift-giving this time of year for someone who maybe does not have a green thumb.
2: Well, of course, there are lots of plants that you can give. My favorite is the amaryllis because amaryllis is, you know, it looks like nothing. It may be just a tiny little one-inch piece of green on that plant, but, boy, that will grow into a huge, beautiful bulb that is astounding. Usually takes about six weeks for an amaryllis to bloom, but they are just spectacular uh, plants to give. So, of course, giving plants is good. Giving garden books is good. There are a lot of garden books. We have local authors and, um, of course, all over the U.S., lots of great garden books that you can find. Um, There are also tools, garden tools, and a lot of new tools Um, Then you could also give a gift subscription. You know, we have the Arboretum, plus we have the Minnesota State Horticulture Society. And the Horticulture Society publishes Northern Gardener magazine. So we have a magazine specifically for gardeners in our area. So I would say, you know, plants are good, but reading material like the um, magazine or membership to the Arboretum, those are wonderful gifts um, as well.
1: Well, that's a great idea. a a membership gift for the Arboretum uh, and uh, the magazine. How do we get that magazine again, Mary?
2: Uh, Northern Gardener. So if you just Google northerngardener.org, the Minnesota State Horticulture Society will come up and you can see about giving a gift membership. Uh, you can purchase just the magazine as a gift membership, or if you become a member of the Hort Society, that supports many community garden projects that uh, go on around the state. That the horticulture society member of the Hort Society, that supports many community garden projects that uh, go on around the state that the horticulture society does. So, yeah, Northern Gardener is a great magazine specifically for us in the north. We have a lot of local writers and writers from northern Minnesota that will uh, really talk about their experiences. So you can't go wrong with finding um, information specifically for our cold climate.
1: That's a great idea. All right, Mary, we uh, need to take a quick break here, have a look at that forecast, see with this week's weather promises. So hang on. We have about another half hour of the show to go on our Smart Garden show every Saturday here on CCO. You have a lawn or garden question, we'd love to hear from you either by phone or by text, 651-461-9226. The weather's straight ahead here on Newstalk 830. This is WCCO. Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to folks like Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota, answering those lawn and garden questions either by phone or by text. If you would like to call in and chat with Mary, great. If you find it easier to send a text like some folks are doing, by all means, 651 461 9226. Either your phone call or text. 651 461 9226. Mary, a texter wants to know Is there a chemical free way to eliminate weeds from a rock garden? Uh, I've heard Texter says baking soda has been recommended. What do you think of that?
2: I don't think baking soda is going to work. this is—I think somebody's dreaming here because I—I <laughs> I, I thought, oh gosh, wouldn't that be nice? Because of course, in and around rocks in a rock garden, it's—it's uh, it's a tough place to weed and remove plants that you don't want. Um, but unfortunately, any big chemical you'd put down that would kill all the weeds would make it difficult for other plants to grow there as well. Uh, Anything with preventative or or any permanence to killing weeds would kill um, the good plants as well. You know, things like glyphosate, which is a Roundup, which is quite controversial. Some people don't like to use that at all. That works on green tissue. So if you've got a weed there and you use Roundup on it, that will kill it. But it doesn't have residual. It doesn't stay in the soil and be a preventative. So that is a challenge. It's a challenge. I, You know, rock gardening, rock gardens are beautiful. There's a great one at the Arboretum where people can see. But it is, um, it's a lot of weeding. So I, I don't really have a good solution there other than put in a lot of plants that you like and hopefully the plants themselves the good plants that you've got in there will uh, dominate and take over most of the area
1: you brought it up uh, earlier in a texture i guess wants a, a timeline and we should maybe direct uh, our listeners to the we- university website again now speaking lawns and gardens uh, if you're maybe you can help clear clear it up as far as uh, using grass seed versus a weed and feed, like you said earlier. I mean, one or the other. I mean, if you want to plant grass seed, you don't put some uh, weed killer down. I mean, what's what's the what's the balance there? How do you do it?
2: Yes, yeah. The balance is uh, the pre-emergent weed killers are the ones that are difficult to use with grass seed. So weed and feed, weed and feed is usually a product that's going to try to kill existing large weeds that are already there. And so those usually, that's a usually um, a post-emergence, once a plant is up and you use weed and feed, it doesn't have much effect on germination and grass seed that's growing. But the pre-emergence weed killers, the ones that are used basically for crabgrass, that's the big weed we're trying to get rid of with pre-emergence killers, make a film on the soil and they kill any uh, many of weed seeds and especially um, grass seeds. And um, so it, it, they kill good grasses as well as bad grasses. So the key here really is kind of complicated or can be kind of confusing, but the key is to know what what um, chemicals you are dealing with. And the labels really give us a tremendous amount of information. And the label will tell you if it's a pre-emergent and it will say, do not use other grass, good grass seed with this. Um, And it it will really spell it out clearly. So the label will give you the information that you need um, about this.
1: Like we say, always read the directions always
2: read the directions yeah it it can be really confusing and there are a lot of products out there and sometimes when you just glance at the name of the product uh, the brand or the name that's not going to be enough information but the law requires the active ingredients to be listed there and those active ingredients are ones you can really look up and then uh, but there's more lots of information on the label
1: absolutely 651-461-9226 if you want to send us your lawn or garden question. Here's another text, Mary. Uh, Bought a Christmas cactus in the stores. Uh, They've already bloomed. Do you think they will bloom again?
2: Yes, um, it can bloom again. There's usually a delay of usually a few weeks in between the bloom time But cool conditions; these plants will flower regularly year-round if the conditions are cool. And by cool, I mean in the 50s in the evening, um, 55, 60, they 55 to 65, really, especially in the evenings, for two or three weeks, will help to initiate blooms. And then the short days. And, of course, we have short days now, so if you put this plant in a room that you don't use much at night because you don't have lights on in the evening, short days or cool conditions will help set the buds for uh, many of the cactus.
1: Not to wish our life away here, Mary, but I think in a couple of weeks, days start getting longer. But who's
2: counting? (laughs) Pretty soon. That's right, (laughs) Denny. Absolutely. We look for that.
1: Yep. Mary, uh, this listener says, back to tap water for houseplants. Now, for the chemicals to evaporate, is that leaving the water in an open container? I suppose it's almost like letting, uh, you know, decanting wine or something, letting that uh, the sulfates yeah. or something oxidize.
2: Yeah, chlorine will usually uh, vaporize, but it does take a while. So I usually leave it overnight, or I have a large pitcher that I just leave out with water and just, let it set out. So overnight, 24 hours will help the chlorine to evaporate. And the other thing that I forgot to mention with that question before about uh, tap water for plants is the softness. You know, many of us have water uh, that's hard and so we have water softeners. And soft water, it, it has a lot of salts in it. It's not the best for plants. But here again, I have, you know, I have some citrus. I, I, I guess I have forgiving houseplants because I do use my softened water and I don't have much of a problem with that. But certain plants will uh, have less tolerance for it. So it's just uh, something to be aware of. And if you can use the hard or unsoftened water, houseplants do prefer that.
1: Something related uh, via the text uh, message, uh, Mary. It says, if you use distilled water, do you need to add plant food? Also, can you use melted snow?
2: Uh, You can use melted snow. That's fine. Uh, There's probably... more dirt that's going to be in melted snow because uh, that often forms on dust particles and so on. But melted snow would not have any of our uh, chemicals, would not be softened. And yeah, so melted snow is similar to rainwater. So that we know that that is good. Um, distilled water is great. That's fine to use. Um, You don't need to add fertilizer to distilled water or or other nutrients to it. I do very little uh, fertilization in the wintertime with my plants, but I, I do some, but that's because so many of our houseplants, they're just hanging, hanging alive, not really growing much through the winter because it is so dark and Like today, we just have very little light uh, for them to grow.
1: Absolutely. Okay, Mary, getting a signal here. We need to take a bit of a break, but we have more show to come. A few remaining minutes. If you have any kind of a lawn and garden question, we do have some via the text screen. So call us or text us. 651-461-9226. Two, two, and keep in mind, coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, right after the news break, Andy Lindis will be answering your home improvement questions, 19226. And keep in mind, coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, right after the news break, Andy Lindis will be answering your home improvement questions. So if you have any kind of project questions you have in mind to ask Andy, that will be coming along next hour. Here on News Talk 830WCCO, 31 Degrees. Good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Danny Long here, along with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Mary, let's uh, let's mention again for some great winter reading. Actually, reading any time of the year is uh, to get online at the University of Minnesota website. How do we do that?
2: Yes, that's extension.umn.edu, and then click on Yard and Garden or Lawn and Garden. Uh, There are many topics up there that you can look at. I was just looking at houseplants and favorite houseplants in Minnesota. We've got a page on poinsettias, holiday cactus, hibiscus, and then lots of information about managing indoor insects on houseplants, uh, what's wrong with my plant, lighting for indoor plants. So great information. Uh, Of course, right now we're thinking about our plants indoors, but year-round information. Uh, There's a great article on buying a Christmas tree, different kinds of Christmas trees, and how to take care of a live Christmas tree. So all your yard and garden questions can be answered at Extension and then click on uh, Lawn and Garden, Yard yeah. and Garden.
1: Great, great resource, extension.umn.edu. Texter says this, Mary, I know we're almost out of time. Uh, did I hear you say, Texter says, you can cut an overgrown lilac to the ground and it will grow back?
2: Yes, you can do that. Now, if your lilac is really weak and straggly and not doing well, uh, it might be slow to come back or it might be uh, not very vigorous when it does come back, but you can do this. Um, lilacs uh, will respond to what we call a rejuvenation or renovation pruning. You can cut them back to the ground and they'll come back again. Uh, lilacs are one of, one of the plants that likes growing in cold climates, and we have lilacs where they don't grow in the south. So, yes, you can rejuvenate your lilacs by cutting it back to the ground.
1: Okay. Speaking of the south, Texter says, we live uh, next to South Padre Island, Texas in the winter. Uh, My grass goes dormant and turns brown this time of year, although it's 80 degrees out. Uh, It is Augustine grass. Is there anything I can do to keep it from going into dormancy? That comes from Rick around South Padre.
2: Yeah, so this is the difference between the Southern grasses and our Northern cool season grasses. Those so Southern grasses do go through a dormant period when they turn brown, They um, and, and most people don't like that. And then when it's consistently warm and hot again, they will green up in the summertime. Uh, the golf courses do overseeding. They'll put some other grass down on top of it uh, because people don't like the brown look. But those grasses, no, there's nothing you can do to that. Um, You could try getting a different kind of grass, but the reason they use those grasses in the south is the tolerance to the summer heat. So your St. Augustine loves the heat in the summer, will do really well in the summer. Uh, We can't grow St. Augustine here because it doesn't tolerate our winter. So um, that's, that's life with the grasses, the cool season and warm season grasses. The warm season ones, like St. Augustine, go brown in the winter.
1: Thank you for letting us know it's 80 degrees there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, I think. A listener wants to know, can dogwood be cut all the way to the ground?
2: Uh, it depends. Now, yes, some of our shrub dogwoods, the colored, uh, yellow twig dogwood, the red dogwoods. Yes. You can cut those back to the ground and that new growth will be beautiful winter colors. So some people do that as a regular practice. Um, I'm not so favor. I wouldn't be so favorable with our tree dogwoods like the, um, Oh, The pagoda dogwoods and so on, you cut those back to the ground, I'm not sure that is going to come back as well. But the shrubs, yes, you can rejuvenate, prune the dogwoods, and that keeps them uh, putting up new stems, which are the most colorful.
1: This listener is suggesting, and we've talked about it in past shows, uh, suggesting clover seed for yards instead of high-maintenance grass. Clover, they say, here in the text, is lovely green with flowers that benefit pollinators and is drought-resistant.
2: Oh, yes. Thank that. you, listener. Yes, thank you for reminding us about the clover. It, that is true. It also fixes nitrogen and helps to um, give nitrogen to uh, other plants that grow there uh, nearby it as well. The only issue is you can't really uh, play soccer on a field of clover. So minimal uh, traffic on that. But, yes, a great addition to lawns and great for pollinators. Absolutely.
1: This listener, Mary, wants to know, what's the best way to prune my Norfolk pine? It so enjoys its summers out of my deck that this year it has reached my living room ceiling. Wow.
2: Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Here's a a gardener who's doing everything right. I I do have a Norfolk Island pine, but at this point it's only about four uh, four to five and a half feet tall and I'm wondering if it'll ever get to my ceiling so it can um, I would say that you you need to prune the top of it off this is kind of hard to tell but I think the person if they're listening will know what the top is rather than the tips or the ends of the branches you need to find a growing point at the top and that is where you need to cut it so, if you cut it off at the top, and I would say, you know, I would take from two to four inches off of that main stem at the top, and that might be in a couple branches come with it. But if you take that top central leader off, that will force side shoots to come out or other shoots. So, yeah, so take it down from the ceiling, right? Take it from the top. So, congratulations on that large Norfolk wow. Island pine.
1: This listener, very wants to know, what's the best way to get rid of bugs on my Hoya?
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, we need to figure out what are the bugs that are in your Hoya. So you want to look on the website that we have, extension.umn.edu, to match it up with pictures. Uh, it might be a scale insect. Uh, Hoya is a wonderful plant, um, great health plant. I wish I had a Hoya. But if, if where are the bugs? Are they in the soil or can you see them actually as white uh, cottony things on the Hoya? So this will, first of all, you gotta figure out what it is. If they're in the soil, they might be fungus gnats. Those are fairly easy to control by keeping it drier conditions. If they're uh, fuzzy white things on the actual leaves or stem itself, those could be scale insects, which are very difficult to control. If they're scale insects, then it's insecticidal soap. It's taking a Q-tip to actually kind of clean each one of them off and much more difficult to control the scale insects. But try first to figure out what insects do you have.
1: Mary, in our last 60 seconds of the show, let's remind our listeners, A, get to the Arboretum and B, uh, check out the university website. Uh, Again, the Arboretum, uh, and you have to make reservations online, right?
2: Right, you need to make reservations to go to the arboretum, but it they're easy to do. If you're a member it's always free. Non-members there's a charge, but everybody makes their reservations. There's a wonderful gift market out there today, holiday gift market. If you're thinking of going to Winter Lights, look at that for the wonderful light celebration. If you want to take a walk, and hopefully when we get some more snow, our ski and snow oh, uh, yeah. ski trails will open. But the, the conditions for walking and trails are up on the website. You can look at that. Also, you can go to the Apple House. That's no reservations and open, uh, like, most days uh, 10 to 5. And, and as we and head yeah. out of
1: here, Mary, uh, get on the, the university website. You won't regret it. It's a great a great resource, extension.umn.edu. Always a pleasure, Mary. Let's do this again.
2: Okay, we will. Thanks, Danny. Great to talk with you.
1: Thank you. Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Get those home improvement questions ready next hour here on CCO.